Man, please have a seat. Let's pray. Father, a few uh, moments ago we heard your word read and now we want to understand it. We pray that by your spirit you would apply its truth to our hearts that we might follow you more faithfully and live life more joyfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm really good with pets. Okay, we've had at our house over the years chickens, guinea pigs, rats, dogs, uh, daegu, gerbils, and generally they're well looked after, they live well, they live long. In fact, sometimes they live a bit longer than you really want them to. Um, But I'm hopeless with plants. Do not give me a plant to look after, within two weeks it will have died. Um, I know the theory. I know that they need light, I know that they need temperature, I know they need water, I know they need food. Um, They need all these things to sustain them. But no matter how hard I try, I can't get them in the right balance, and within two weeks, uh, they will die. Churches need things to sustain them too. Not soil, not light, not temperature, not water. But the things that are mentioned in that uh, letter that we had read from Acts, that verse. As the early church gathered together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These four elements kept the church united, kept the church together, kept the church alive. And over the next few weeks, as I said at the start of our service, uh, we'll be looking at a different one of these elements on each Sunday. This morning we start with the Apostles' teaching. Before I speak about the Apostles' teaching, I want to speak about the ministry of Jesus as a teacher. The Apostles' teaching is important because what the Apostles' teaching is, is the teaching of Jesus. It's the teaching of Jesus that is handed on to the Apostles, and it's the teaching about Jesus that the Apostles share. In the Gospels, we see Jesus, the teacher. In the Gospels, the most common titles of address for our Lord are Jesus, by which he's referred 615 times, Lord, 191 times, and Son of Man, the most common way he referred to himself, 80 times. But after this, the most common title which referred to his role is teacher, which is used 70 times. Teaching was a major feature of his ministry. You could say it was his chief business. He was a healer. Sometimes he was a worker of miracles. But always he was a teacher. Not only is he frequently called a teacher, but he spends a lot of his time teaching. You see, I've done a lot of counting. 47 times in the Gospels, we see Jesus teaching. A couple of examples. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them. When he'd finished teaching, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he's speaking as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
began our service with that reading from Luke where Jesus calls the first disciples, the very first disciples who will follow him and who will in turn become the 12 apostles. Do you notice it begins at the Lake Gennesaret and we read the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He's teaching. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to pull out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He taught daily in the temple. He taught in the synagogues. He taught in the temple courts. He taught in houses. He taught in great towns. And he taught in villages. One occasion we know he taught on a mountainside. He taught in the streets. And here we see him teaching in a boat by the lakeside. Jesus was concerned about teaching. Teaching was important to him. Not only did he teach a lot, but he told his disciples, who had become the apostles, that teaching would be central to their calling too. In fact, in his last command to those disciples, he tells them to teach. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then there's that wonderful promise. Behold, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I've mentioned the apostles a few times and As I said, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But who are the apostles and what does uh, apostle mean? Very simply, the apostles were those uh, 12 disciples who Jesus called to follow him. Uh, Disciple, the word is uh, mathetes, which means pupil or learner or apprentice. Uh, They travelled with Jesus for the three years of his ministry. They were his uh, closest friends, his followers. They imbibed his teaching. They were there with him all the times he was speaking to the, uh, the, the crowds and they would, have, they would have learned his teaching. And also they would have seen him in action. They'd have seen the miracles. They'd have seen him up close. They were partial party to teaching that he didn't share with others. He might speak in a great parable to the crowd and then explain it in private to his disciples. So they knew his teaching like nobody else. And they knew him like nobody else. Judas betrays him and falls. And then the book of Acts, we read that uh, another follower of Jesus, Matthias, uh, joins as another uh, apostle. They're unique in that they are close to Jesus. They're unique in they see his uh, teaching close up. And they're unique in that they are witnesses to the resurrection. And indeed, if you trace through their teaching, through the, uh, the scriptures, you'll see that time and again they refer to Jesus as his teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Their words have a special uh, authority and power because of the closeness with which they knew Jesus and because of the, of the empowering of the Spirit that comes upon them at Pentecost. An apostle is a sent one. And these 12 apostles are sent by Jesus to take his teaching into the world. 
Remember, Jesus said, the Spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth. And he said those words to those apostles, those disciples. The Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you and he will lead you into truth. We find that truth in the apostles' teaching. The apostles, in a very real sense, give us Christ. When they speak in the pages of Scripture, they speak with his delegated authority. Their teaching is the teaching of Christ. The fullness of the revelation come by him, his teaching entrusted to them once and for all. There's a good description of this in 1 John, written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's writing to a church and he begins his letter with these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. Here the Apostle John affirms that they've received their teaching and authority from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they make known that revelation to the church and to us who read their words. In the early church in those years after Pentecost, as those 3,000 gathered together and their numbers grew and they met in houses and in small churches, uh, they listened to the apostles' teaching. And then people began to write down that teaching and circulate that teaching. And the apostles began to die off in different ways and then they began to write letters to the churches and and kind of condense that teaching and uh, keep that teaching. And those letters were then gathered up and they were passed around the different churches. And churches that had been founded by John started to get letters that were written to churches that had been founded by Peter. And, and John's letters were passed to Peter's uh, churches. And then the letters that were written by, or the book that was written by Matthew was passed around. And then the book that was written by John was passed around. And then they were gathered together in collections. And so the apostles' teaching was gathered together. And then one day they were printed And then they were bound up in a book together and it was covered in a black case and the words Holy Bible was printed on the front. When we hold the New Testament, we hold the apostles' teaching in our hands. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where do we find this truth? find it in the pages of scripture the apostles teaching matters it matters because every christian is a theologian alistair Begg, a uh, american uh, pastor with scottish actually but he's pastor of a church in america um, he's written this 
Theology is the knowledge of God, which emerges from an acquaintance with God, brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit and revealed in the pages of Scripture. Theology is the knowledge of God which emerges from an acquaintance with God, brought about by the Holy Spirit and revealed in the pages of Scripture. It's impossible to be a believer, to be a Christian, without being someone who has a knowledge of God and who recognises that that knowledge of God is something which deepens over time. And it deepens as a result of studying the apostles' teaching. Reading the words of Scripture, imbibing their truths. That's the first reason that the apostles' teaching is so vital. Because every Christian is a theologian, every Christian believes something about God. Secondly, it's important because it's the foundation for getting everything else right. If we want to know how we should worship, the answer will be found in our knowledge of the Bible. If we want to know how to be a good witness, somebody who speaks of Christ and reveals Christ to others, the answer will be found in the Scriptures. If we want to know how to conduct ourselves at work, how to be a a disciple, a follower of Jesus, how to be a a good Christian dad or Christian mum or Christian child, the answer will be found in a study of the scriptures from an appreciation of the apostles' teaching. One place I've never been to but would like to visit someday is the Wexner Centre for Performing Arts in Ohio State University. It's a modern building. was built, I think, in the 80s. It's one of those kind of trendy buildings uh, where everything's wrong but somehow is right. Uh, the outside is on the... Uh, sorry, the inside is on the outside. So the, the bits that hold the, the building up, they're on the outside. It's kind of skeleton that's outside the building. Uh, there's no right angles in the building. All the, all the walls are slightly off. It's not quite vertical. Other surfaces, not quite horizontal. So slightly unsettling as you walk around. Uh, the corridors are curved. So they appear that they go on forever. Uh, the columns uh, drop down from the ceiling rather than rising up from the floor. Uh, There are doors that open onto rooms that have no clear function and are oddly shaped. It's quite a confusing building to walk around, but it's one of the most photographed buildings, certainly in the state of Ohio. The architect who designed it was given a brief. It's a centre for the performing arts. We want you to build a building that says something about the human condition. And he thought about it, he thought, well, it's mysterious, it's confusing, something about being human is unsettling, I'm going to put that together in a building. And so he created this weird and wacky building where none of the rules of design quite fit together. He was asked about this and he explained his thought process and all that kind of stuff. And then somebody said to him, and um, and the foundations, did you do the same thing with those? And he laughed and he said, well, of course not, no. If you want the building to actually stand up, you get the foundations right. So the foundations, there are right angles and there's 
girders and there's concrete and everything is solid and as it should be. If you want your building to stand, you get the foundations right, even if it's wild and wacky and creative. In our church life, we need to get the foundations right and the foundations are found in the teaching of the apostles. The apostles' teaching matters because reflecting upon this is an expression of loving God with our minds. Remember one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you'll love the Lord with all your heart. It's easy to get that. We do that in our worship. We have an emotional response to the words that we are singing. We tell God that we love him. Love the God, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What does it mean to love God with your mind? How can a person love God with their mind? How can they glorify God with their mind? The answer is in getting serious with God's word, in getting serious with the apostles' teaching, in getting serious about a knowledge of God. We love God with our minds as we reflect upon the truths of Scripture. The fourth reason that the apostles' teaching matters is because we cannot separate Christ from the scriptures that reveal him. Um, Many years ago, I was a Christian youth worker. I worked for a church, and uh, one of the things that we did each year was we did a a kind of youth holiday, did different different things that we did, and one year um, we did a Canalbert holiday So there's a couple of us youth leaders, uh, some parents, and then we had two canal boats. And we had about 30 teenagers separated between the two boats. And we kind of, we went down the canals and we had pub lunches and we played sports and we did all, we did all that kind of um, stuff. I was in charge of one boat. Uh, My friend Mike, who's in charge of the other boat. And I remember waking up early one morning to lots of shouting and horns blowing, and could not quite work out what was happening. Ran down the boat, pulled the little hatch open, jumped up, and discovered to my horror uh, that our boat had moved during the night. And we had drifted down the canal, and then we had turned, and we were blocking the canal. And there were boats either side blowing their horns, shouting at us, and, you know, some not very Christian language was being used, I have to say. Um, and what had happened is, uh, you know, the other boat, the other team had got up early in the morning. They'd untied our moorings. They gently pushed us off and waved as we drifted off down the canal. You cannot separate Christ from the scriptures that reveal him. The apostles' teaching anchors our understanding of Christ. They moor us to him. Our knowledge of Jesus is not just something that, that kind of grows from within us or some kind of mystical ex- understanding that happens on a, on a walk or some, some prophet of reflection that happens in a quiet corner one day. 
How do we know that the Christ of our imagination, the Christ that we worship in our hearts, is the real Christ? That the God who we worship actually is the God of heaven and earth. What anchors our faith to him? What moors our faith to him? What stops us just drifting off down the canal? It's the apostles' teaching. The teaching that the early church devoted themselves to. The teaching that's found in the pages of the scripture that anchors us to Christ and anchors our faith uh, to God. We are part of St. Giles. St. Giles is part of the Church of England. The Church of England is part of the worldwide Anglican communion, the Anglican family of churches. And in our uh, creeds and in our foundations, in our kind of governing documents, if you like, uh, the claim is always made or the statement is always made that we are part of the apostolic and Catholic church. When a new vicar is installed, they'll be asked if they affirm uh, the faith Catholic and apostolic. Catholic means uh, universal, universal. not not Roman Catholic, but, but universal, part of the worldwide church. And apostolic means faithful to the teaching of the apostles, faithful to that witness of who Jesus is. Faithful to the faith that was handed on to them and that they passed on to others. So three things that arise from this for us, I think. If we are going to be faithful to Christ, if we are going to uh, take the scriptures seriously, then we'll be devoted to the apostles' teaching as that early church was. If our life is to be uh, rich and healthy and and good as a community and as individual Christians, uh, then we'll be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We'll want to learn more of the scriptures, want to learn more of the Christ who's revealed in the scriptures. We'll want to get the foundations right and we'll want to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. So three questions to ask yourself as you read the scriptures. As you read the scriptures on your own, as you read them on the bus or in Costa, as you read them with your family or as you read them with your elderly relatives, as you read them in a home group or in a fellowship group? Three questions. Three reflective questions. And the first is what? What? What does this say? Sometimes we're so familiar with a passage that we can rush ahead. We think we know what we say. it says without really looking to, to say, does it say what I think it says? Sometimes we assume it's saying uh, something that it isn't. Sometimes we're so shocked or challenged by what we read in the scriptures that we think, well, it can't possibly say that. It must say something else. First question to ask when you read the scriptures in whatever context it might be is, well, what does it actually say? And then the second question to ask is, 
Well, so what? So what? What does it mean? I know what it says, but what does it mean? What does it mean in the context in which it's written? How does it fit with other passages of scripture? How can they kind of maybe challenge each other or support each other? How can this inform my faith and practice? What does this mean? And then the third question to ask yourself, the third reflective question is this, now what? Now what? What? So what? Now what? What difference does this make? What changes do I need to make? What have I learnt? What's the encouragement for me or the challenge for me? What's the encouragement or the challenge for my brothers and sisters in Christ? What does this mean for us as a church or for us as a community? What? So what? And now what? As Jesus was teaching, the crowd drift away and then there's just Jesus and the disciples left. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were their partners. In that moment, they realize who Jesus is. As a result of his teaching and a demonstration of his power, they realize that he knows more about fishing uh, than they do. And their response is to confess their poverty and embrace his riches. Let's pray. God, our Father, grant that out of all these words, you might gain glory to your name. Reinforce within our minds the absolute priority and necessity of taking your words seriously, of bowing beneath its truth. Lord, may we embrace the apostles' teaching on a daily basis, in small gatherings, on our own and with others in our home groups, in junior church, walking and talking along the road. Mark our lives, we pray, with the power of your spirit as we submit to the truth of your word. May you bless us and keep us. May you make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Amen.